We started talking about Jonah last week and Jonah's direction had changed after the fish had spit him up on the beach. But his heart hadn't changed. Direction had changed, but heart hadn't changed. He was compliant, as I said last week, but he was not worshipful. Which means that he was submitted to the awesome authority and worth of, of God. Jonah gave what was necessary to save his skin. He made a vow and he would go through with it grudgingly. God was gracious though to call him a second time and that's where we pick up the story. After he spit up on the beach, it says this, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Can you praise God for a second chance? Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. That's basically burlap. And they'd throw dust and ashes on their head as a sign of grieving over their sin or their situation. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles... Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from His fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways... He relented. Hallelujah. That's the God we love. And did not bring on them the destruction He had threatened. After God spit Jonah up on the beach, it was a 550 mile hike to Nineveh. 550 miles. And He started toward Nineveh. Heart unchanged, but compliant. Resenting it every step. Evidently, when it says he went a day's journey in, he was probably going to the city centers, the, 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 the places where people gather, like the city gates was a place where leaders would make decisions and hold court. To the marketplaces, to the water wells, all of these places, probably Jonah would go and he would proclaim this short message. There was probably more to this message, but it's summarized in this little book that you can read in a matter of minutes. And he's preaching at these key gathering places through the city. And as he preaches his way through this large city, a, 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 met, a, a huge metropolitan area for the ancient world. the word begins to spread. Now, I want you to understand something. 
Jonah was confident that God would relent if they would repent. But evidently, he wasn't convinced they would repent. And if you read this whole book, if you read into chapter 4, and we will in a moment, you'll find out he was severely disappointed that they repented. And he was angry that God relented. I told you we were going to deal with Jonah's attitude this week, and that's what we're going to do. Evidently, he didn't anticipate their complete repentance. And as I said, after they did, he was disappointed, still hoping God would judge. So he sat on a hill. You'll find this out in, in chapter 4. He sat on a hill outside town and was just hoping beyond hope God would go ahead and send fire from heaven or something and destroy these rascals. God had not given up on a heart change though. As knuckle-headed as Jonah was, God had not yet given up on changing Jonah's heart to be like his heart. And that's amazing grace, isn't it? A man who had so blatantly and bald-faced rebelled and disobeyed, and yet God keeps after him because he wants his heart. He wants his heart to be like his. He wanted to help Jonah become a lover of people. Please hear me. The lesson this week is about people. God wanted Jonah to value people like God values people. I want you to look at the person beside you and say, you're a treasure. Go ahead, tell them, you're a treasure. I'm serious. Look at somebody and say, you're a treasure. Some of you, all of you are laughing, but God's not laughing. You are a treasure to the heart of our Father. Without exception. God wanted Jonah to become a lover of people. Please hear this phrase. Even, even people who didn't deserve it. He wanted to change Jonah's heart to be a lover of people. Even people that don't deserve it. And now I want you to look at the person beside you and say, you don't deserve it. And by the way, all of you are right. I don't deserve it. But I am a treasure. You say those two things work against each other. I, I don't care. What God created you to be in your mother's womb is a treasure to Him. Now what we've done with that treasure is a different story. Right? What other people have done with our treasure. Amen? Sometimes other people have trampled on this treasure. It was hard for Jonah to see that he was one of those people that didn't deserve it. 
Evidently, Jonah thought he deserved God's mercy. He was very thankful when the fish spit him up. But how quickly he forgot that God had mercy on him when it came time to have mercy on 120,000 people that didn't know their right from their left hand. So what was Jonah's beef with the Ninevites? What was this attitude about? Let me, let me share with you who the Ninevites were. It was the capital city of the kingdom of Assyria. Assyria was known for impaling their enemies. These were vicious, sadistic, wicked people, hated universally by the ancient world. They were the ISIS of their day on steroids. And it wasn't just some loose band of renegades, it was a whole nation. And that's the way they rolled. Not only that, but 37 years approximately after Jonah would preach repentance to the Ninevites. I'm sorry, he didn't preach repentance. He preached judgment. He didn't even mention repentance evidently. 37 years after Jonah preached judgment to the Ninevites, they would invade Israel and destroy the northern ten tribes and take them captive. And not only that, but other prophets, Amos is one of them, I think it's Hosea is the other one, they prophesy that God would use Nineveh to judge His people. And Jonah didn't like that. There was an existential threat in Nineveh's very existence according to Jonah's attitude. As long as Nineveh stood, Israel was at risk. And Jonah did not want to cooperate with such an arrangement. How dare God use such wicked people to judge the chosen ones. The chosen ones. The fair-haired, favored child. The people of Israel. The covenant people of God. Were Israelites so bad, God, that you've got to use somebody like Nineveh to be your whipping stick? There's several lessons in this part of the story I want to share with you today. And the first one is this. Jonah underestimated his and his nation's heart problems. Anybody here ever had heart problems? Raise your hand. I'm talking about physical heart. We've all had spiritual heart problems. So go ahead and raise your hand, everybody. Come on. We've all had heart problems. Jonah had heart problems as we have laid out last week, but Jonah underestimated his own heart problem and the heart problem of all of God's chosen people. Because let me describe to you what was going on in Israel at the time. In Israel, they were ripping widows off 
they were disenfranchising people to the point that there was a growing population of orphans. They were imprisoning people because they robbed them of the ability to make a living. And when they couldn't pay their debts, they were throwing them in prison. They were sleeping around everywhere. And on top of that, they were worshiping idols that were a sex cult. And the way you worship those idols was go consort with a temple prostitute. They were worshiping these idols and even had set up idols in their temple in the northern kingdom. And they were flaunting God's mercy and grace continually. They, this nation had seen more miracles from the hand of God. They had enjoyed more favor from the heart of God. They had been blessed beyond measure more than any group of people in history. And they acted like God and his covenant was something to be used at their discretion and trampled on if it got in the way of their lust and their wicked desires. That's what the chosen people of God were doing. And yet Jonah had the audacity to challenge God's willingness to use a wicked nation like Nineveh. Can I say it? To judge a wicked nation like his own covenant people. He had literally gone off the edge in mercy and grace to protect, to provide, to enhance, to elevate. Basically, they trampled on the grace of God. Jonah underestimated his own heart problem. And he underestimated the heart problem of his people. What was his heart problem? Let's just call it like it is. Number one, pride. Pride. He thought he was better than the Ninevites. Oh, he probably didn't skin people alive or impale them. But neither did the Ninevites have the truth of God's Word. Jonah was walking in pride. He thought he was better than them. And by the way, just as an aside, don't sin look much worse on other people than it does on us? I mean, come on, confession is good for the heart. Even if it's the same sin, it looks much worse if you do it than if I do it. To me, I mean. You ever had that experience? Oh, you're incensed when somebody else stumbles and does that. But then you stumble and do it. And it's like, oh, well, but I, but I, but I, but I, but I. It just looks much more evil if you're doing it than it does if I'm doing it to me. And vice versa. Of course, I know I got kind of that category problem as pastor. It looks much worse if pastor does it. I get that. And, and it is. We will be judged by a stricter judgment. That's what the Bible says. But in general, sin is much more hideous when it's your sin, not mine. We just got to get real with ourselves. Even if we committed the same sin as somebody else, it just looks worse when they do it. 
Now there is the opposite reaction and I got to put this in here. There's some of you sitting here today being proud and, and not being sensitive to your own sin is not your problem. Your problem is condemnation. Your sin looks much worse than everybody else's all the time. And to the point, you struggle to believe that God could dare forgive you. That's a lie from hell too. And in a way, that's reverse pride. In a way, what you say when you go down that road is you're saying of all the people in the world, my sin is the worst. Oh, Jesus' blood might be okay for Chris Bolden, but it's not okay for, it's not enough for my sin. What are you saying? In a way, you're saying you're so, you were so perfect and so important that your sin became that much worse than everybody else's. And how could God ever forgive you? That's a lie from hell too. Amen? That's a lie from hell. Jonah's first problem was pride. Second problem was he had privilege without a sense of responsibility. He knew he was privileged. He knew he was one of the chosen people of God. He knew he was under a covenant of blessing that he did not earn. But he knew he was the apple of God's eye. He knew he was inscribed on the palms of the Father's hands. He knew all the blessings and, and of the covenant for generation after generation forever. He knew that. But evidently he had forgotten the responsibility that comes along with the privilege. So what are you talking about? You don't have to go there, but if you go to Genesis chapter 12, God's first encounter with Abraham. Besides saying, go to a land I'll show you. Here's what God said to him. He took him outside and said, look up at the stars of the sky. And he said, so shall your descendants be. Now this is a man that's in, at the time in his 70, 75 and God's saying your descendants are going to be great as the sands of the sea. But here's what he said, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. If you'll go all the way through the Old Testament, here's what you're going to find out. God didn't choose Abraham and choose Israel just to have a favorite. He chose them to raise up the Messiah. He chose them to be a light to the nations. He chose them to be a blessing to all peoples forever. Evidently, Jonah understood his privilege, but he didn't understand the responsibility that went with it. Do you? Because according to 1 Peter chapter 2, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, chosen, blessed, empowered to show forth the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness into marvelous light. You're chosen. Some of you need to understand you're blessed and chosen first. You're not, you know, some of you don't, that, that, that's not real to you. But once you get that one under your belt, realize there's a responsibility that goes with it. A responsibility. 
Their mishandling of their covenant relationship with God, I'm talking about the Israelites at Jonah's time, their mishandling of the gracious covenant of love and favor was mishandled atrociously. I've already made this point. Here's the way I wrote it in my notes. Sometimes I talk better when I'm writing. Never had a nation had so much and done so poorly with it. The covenant and demonstration of God's goodness, glory, and kindness. The third thing that I believe Jonah struggled with was self-interest. Self-interest. This was about what Jonah wanted. And if you'll read chapter 4, and we will in a minute, he was more concerned about his own comfort level than he was a massive metropolitan of lost people on the chopping block of judgment. Can I put it in New Testament Alabama terms? He didn't care if they went to hell. Every one of them. He didn't care. As long as that plant didn't wilt over his head and keep the sun off his bald head. I'm just assuming he was bald. I can relate to Jonah. Self-interest. I didn't even say selfishness. I mean, he judged whether he was going to cooperate with God based on what was in it for him. Now, there's a certain amount of that we can't help. Why and at all do we ever cry out to Jesus? It's because we don't want to go to hell. And we want what He has to give. Amen? Amen. There's nothing wrong with that. But when our, the steps in our lives are always ordered by what it's, what's in it for me, we've gotten off track. Can I hear an amen? We've gotten off track. There's some decisions that ought to be made simply on what's in it for God and other people. But self-interest solely determined his response to God, particularly the lost and damned population of Nineveh. Is it possible we're doing the same thing sometimes? by sitting to the side complaining about government and culture and movers and shakers and pronouncing judgment without ever weeping over the lostness of the lost? Some of you are not going to like what I'm saying here. And I, I, I'm sorry. I'm convinced what I'm saying is the heart of God demonstrated in the Word of God. Jonah had no tears for lost people. Jonah had no broken heart over the lostness of the lost. And this is one reason that we prayed this week these seven prayer priorities. The second one is, God, give me a compassion for the lost and the broken. And I will add, the lost, the least, the broken, the bound, the dysfunctional, the perverted. God, give me a compassion. Because that's his heart. But what if they don't deserve it? Get in line. Get in line. Neither do I deserve it. I didn't deserve to be born in a Christian home. I didn't deserve to have grandparents that probably prayed for me before I was ever conceived. I didn't 
deserve to be brought up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. I didn't deserve to know scriptures from an early age. I didn't deserve the love of the church that I grew up in. I didn't deserve, I didn't do anything to earn that. And neither did you. And there's people around us today that are being ripped off and raped by our culture and by lies and by seduction of the enemy. They are being messed over. And they may come in here all broken, tore up and tattooed and pierced and all kinds of things and their soul been through a meat grinder. Am I willing to say, but for the grace of God, that's me. But for the grace of God, that's me. Are we addicted to comfort and self-interest? Does it prevent us from praying for and reaching out to people that we don't think deserve it? There will be no fulfillment of the Great Commission without sacrifice. A sacrifice we're called to. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Everybody knows it. But I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service of worship. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the... Hey, he ain't bothering me. He just wants to get near. Jonah couldn't square in his mind how God would save Nineveh, his enemies and use them to judge Israel. The second big thing is Jonah's hangups about other people hindered his relationship with God. Hear me. I'll be through. I promise. Give me 10 more minutes. I know. It's 12.04. Sorry. I'm not going to apologize for what the Holy Spirit did today. I'm not going to. And if you got to go, I understand. Ain't nobody going to judge you. I won't, I won't even know. I'll just look down. Jonah's hangups about other people hindered his relationship with God. Can I tell you something? Our relationships with other people will help, always help or hinder our relationship with God. Because they're connected. Read 1 John. You love God, say you love God, but you hate your brother, you're a liar. Why? They're connected. God and me. God's people in me. They're connected. Jonah's attitude about other people hindered his relationship with God. His hatred, his, his distaste, his disgust, his unforgiveness, his fear about these people hindered his relationship with God. So will yours. I know. Some of you hate that other party. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> don't let that hurt your relationship with God. And don't let it hurt your ability to reach those people that you deem undeserving. Evidently, 
those other people were so despicable to Jonah, he was willing to risk his relationship with God over his attitude. Bad choice, Jonah. Because God's so gracious, He pursues us by asking us hard questions. I want you to notice He didn't give up on Jonah. He came back and asked Jonah hard questions about his own heart. Our hang-ups about others hinder our relationship with God. And I believe that the Holy Spirit would say to us, we have to take our eyes off other people and answer the hard questions the Holy Spirit would ask us about ourselves. You don't have to be afraid of His answers. He is a merciful, gracious, loving Father. You, you are safe answering the questions He asks you honestly. Amen? Amen? You need to be, I need to be open to anything like this morning. What was the Holy Spirit doing? He was asking some hard questions. Some of you are holding on to things. He's saying, will you let go? That's a hard question. It wasn't a mean question. It wasn't designed to make you uncomfortable. It wasn't designed to humiliate you. It was designed to free you. It was designed to bless you. Amen? That's the heart of our Father. You don't have to be afraid of the hard questions. But can I tell you, because He loves you and me so much, He will not avoid asking hard questions until we respond. And this book ends with a question from God. And it's probably a question all of us need to answer before this little series of messages is done. Here's some hard questions. Can we see our own need for mercy, grace, and forgiveness? Do we really think we deserve more than those we see as least deserving? Are they worthy of our sacrifice to bring the demonstration of truth and love of God to them? Do they, are they worth that? You know what? Here's what I realize. I'm the beneficiary of generations of prayers that I didn't deserve. And I've already tried to make this point. Just say it one more time. I am the beneficiary of pastors and preachers, of saints, of many stripes and many stations in life that sacrifice to bring the full gospel to this nation. I stand on the shoulders of people like John Wycliffe and John Huss that literally gave their lives to translate the scriptures into the language of the people. I am the beneficiary of their sacrifice. Thank God they thought it was worth it. Or I wouldn't be standing here today. The final couple of, well, the final thing is this. Jonah didn't value people like God values them. He's all about mercy and salvation. The thing that amazes me is he prepared this wicked nation for simple truth of judgment 
and they flipped and believed God and repented. Who would have ever guessed they would do that? The most wicked of the wicked. Who would have ever guessed all they needed was a word of truth in a due season? But God valued them that much. He prepared them. I was talking with Craig yesterday. We were talking about the fact that whatever you call them, cosmologists said that there was probably a solar eclipse sometime just near when Jonah would have been there. Why? I believe to get their attention. You better listen to this wild man that comes walking through you, probably bleached from the juices of the whale's stomach. Better listen to him. I was going to read chapter 4, but because of time, I'm not. Let me just tell you the story. Jonah goes outside the city, sits there, and hopes God will burn them. Hopes he'll send them to hell. And he builds him a little shelter because it's desert. And he tries to make shade. And God says, I'm going I'm to give him a little comfort. He lets a plant grow up over and and just in a night is able to give him enough leaves and foliage to shield him from the desert sun. He's so happy. He's so happy. And then the next day, God sends a worm and he eats the root of the plant and it wilts. Now he's so mad. He's so mad. And God says, are you right to be more angry about the stupid plant? He didn't use stupid. This is Gary's version. Stupid plant? Are you more concerned about the stupid plant than you are 120,000 precious treasures? And that's the way the book ends. We don't even get an answer from Jonah. God values every human being. Even idol-worshiping sadists. From the womb to the tomb, they're precious in His sight. And can I tell you, every unborn baby right now in mother's womb is precious in God's sight. Whether it's in Birmingham, Alabama, like our granddaughter that was in the womb this time last week, or it's some poor dirt farmer in the Congo whose mother has to walk three miles to the nearest source of water every day and carry back a lot of water even though she's nine months pregnant. Can I tell you that baby in her womb is just as precious to God as my granddaughter. And some of us have trouble feeling that. Because we've not seen them. We've not walked with them. We've not heard them laugh. We've not heard their fears. We've not heard their cries. We've not seen their suffering up close and personal. And by the way, this is one reason we go on missions trips. So we can be sensitized to the people around the world that are precious in His sight. I hate to tell you this, but the universe don't revolve around the United States of America. We need to value the unborn all the way to the elderly who don't even know their name anymore. I'm going to tell you something. That 95-year-old in a nursing home that don't know you or know her name anymore is as precious to God as you are. As precious as you are. 
And if we believe in the sanctity of life and next Sunday is sanctity of life Sunday, but we got a guest speaker coming. So I figured I'd talk about it this week. We've got to treasure people from the womb to the tomb, whether they're dysfunctional, whether they're special needs, whether they're an addict, whether they're whatever. We've got to learn to value people like God values them. He can do that in our heart. I just want to ask you this. Do I grieve? Ask yourself this question. Here's a hard question. Do I grieve over the persecuted church in Nigeria as much as I grieve over our suffering economy? Do we grieve over the unborn being butchered as much as we grieve over our own inconveniences from bad politics and COVID? I'm not saying this comes natural. I'm saying this is the heart of God. That's what I'm saying. Now, I know some of you is going to think this is a shameful plug, but I just wanted to demonstrate this. Show that picture of our granddaughter. Now, look, I wasn't going to do this, but it just happened to go along with my sermon. And all, how many of your grandparents? Raise your hands. Listen. Listen. That little girl is no more important to God than some child that is born to a prostitute in the slums of India. To God. That child in a brothel may be born with disease is just as precious to the heart of God as that little girl is. We just got to get our heart on board. So how can we do that? I'm glad you asked that. Maybe we hadn't run away from the call of God. And I just want to give you four or five things you can do to begin to value the lost and the least. Okay? First thing is, is to share. Share your faith. Can I just challenge every one of you in the next couple of weeks, write out your testimony, how you came to Jesus and why, and what a difference He's made in your life. I just dare you, write it down on paper and know it well so that when you encounter that, that waitress at the restaurant and you say, how you doing? And she says, not really good. And she starts telling you her story. You can connect it with your story. And say, yeah, I haven't been through that, but I've been through something like that. Jesus has made all the difference to me. Learn to share your faith and be willing to do it. If you don't speak Jesus in this culture... Who is? Oh, there's gospel preachers on every whatever, every radio station, every internet, whatever. I get it. But you know what they need? They need a real person that they can relate to right in front of them that says, Jesus made a difference in my life. That's what they really need. Not somebody on a screen. Second thing, 
demonstrate hope, faith, and love. And by the way, next Saturday, we'll be here at 9 o'clock praying and getting ready to go to businesses to offer to pray for the whoever's in charge there that day and to hang door hangers on doors. If you don't think you've got the guts to go in with me to a business and just stand there and pray with me as I pray with them, if you don't think you can do that, well, you can go hang door hangers on doors and just walk away. You say, well, what good will that do? Nothing if we don't pray. I challenge you. You want to you you develop a heart for the lost, the broken, the least, the dysfunctional, the addicted, whatever. You want to develop a heart? Show love, faith, and hope. Our culture needs hope. And we've got it. It's part of our vision. Loving Jesus, connecting people, sharing hope. You got an easy opportunity next week. Just take a couple hours of your day. Third thing is pray. I want you to pray for two things. Pray that God will break your heart over the lostness of the lost. And then pray for some lost people. How many of you has got an unsaved friend or loved one? Raise your hand. Hold it up. Keep it up. Okay, look around. Just look around while your hand's up. Almost everybody here. Not everybody, but almost everybody here has got one. I just challenge you, start praying for them every day. Holy Spirit, deal with their hearts. Holy Spirit, melt the hardness. Holy Spirit, answer the questions they need answered. Holy Spirit, help them become willing to receive your love. Two more things. Ask, look for, and seize every opportunity to do the above. Ask for, look for, seize opportunity to share hope, to share your testimony, to pray for people that are hurting. And then finally, give. I know. Some people, all they want to do is give. They don't want to do the other four. But somebody's got to give. Give to missions. Pay your tithe. Can I tell you that three people have prayed the sinner's prayer in this building in the last week? Can you give God a hand? That wouldn't have happened if you hadn't been paying tithes. Because if you hadn't been paying tithes, these lights wouldn't have been on last week. I'm challenging you. You want to develop a heart for the lost? Tithe and give to missions. We, we've got these fundraisers coming up to help two different teams go overseas in the coming months. Be a part of it. Be a part of it. Patronize these things. You'll get a good meal. You'll get, have some fun. And you can contribute to us going overseas and seeing the preciousness of people in Ecuador and Spain. We're going to pray. Here's, uh, it's going to be simple. God, give me a heart for the lost and the broken. Give me a heart for the addicted and the bound. Give me a heart for the dysfunctional, even the perverted. Give me a heart. Give me a heart. Show me how I can help somebody. If you will pray that prayer with me, I just want you to stand up right now. Come on, stand up. Oh God, help us. Come on. Would you just cry out to Him? God, give me your heart for people. Give me your heart for people.
I know my expressions of that love might look different than Pastor Gary's, but give me a heart for hurting people. Give me a heart for broken people. Give me a heart for addicted, confused, dysfunctional people. Give me your heart for the lost and the bound and the least of these. Lord God, I don't have the capacity, but you do. And I just pray you would stretch my heart today. If you can say amen to that, I just want you to say amen right now. Come on, say it loud. Say amen. amen. Say it again. Amen. amen. That's a prayer God will answer, folks. So just beware. He's going to start pointing people out to you this week. He's going to start putting questions in your mind. That person looks like they're distressed. And, and, Reach out to him. how you doing? You see, how you doing? Can I pray with you about something? So I'm not a, I'm not a professional prayer. By the way, I'm not either. Sometimes all it takes is how you doing and stay long enough to listen. If every one of us would take this seriously today, this place would probably be full in a month with people that are ready to be loved and cherished and trained, supported and encouraged and challenged and delivered. Some people got chains. Only the power of the Holy Spirit can break. He wants to break them among us. I just ask you to do it, Father. And if there's anybody here that's not yet surrendered your heart to Christ and have had your sins forgiven and you have not, don't have the assurance of eternal salvation and the abundant life in Christ, you're not sure you're right with God. I want to pray with you right here immediately after this service. So I just invite you. I'm going to dismiss and I'm going to invite you to come and I'll stay right here for a few minutes and see if anybody responds. But Jesus is after you. If that's you, He wants to give you that assurance as He does a supernatural work of cleansing and renewal and making all things new in your soul. In Jesus' name, God bless you. God bless you. I'm waiting if you're here.